this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey, this episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. I had the opportunity to interview Stephanie Breedlove the other day. She sold her $9 million payroll company for a cool $54 million. How does she do it? She focused on the eight things that drive company value. Things like what we call the Switzerland structure, monopoly control, recurring revenue, all things you're going to evaluate in your own business using the Value Builder score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the survey. Go to valuebuilder.com. The toughest thing about selling a company, at least in my opinion, is how do you tell your employees? These are the people that have brought to you where you are today, right? They were the ones who started with you, who believed in you, and now you've got to tell them that you're thinking of selling your company. How do you do it? When do you do it? And what are the knock-on effects? My next guest, Scott Miller, is going to do that in raw detail. He's going to tell you how he told his employees. And it wasn't all pretty. As you're about to hear, it was difficult on many different levels. But he got through it. He sold his company for three and a half times earnings, um, a successful exit that he's happy with, uh, and some, I think, good lessons along the way on how to tell employees. Here's Scott Miller. Scott Miller, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Miller Restoration. Tell me about this company. What did you guys do? I'm assuming it was restoring homes or offices. Like, What does a restoration company do? Yes. So... We uh, were mostly doing residential work and helping people who've had some type of water or fire damage to their home. Uh, mold remediation was part of what we did. Trauma cleanup was a small part of what we did also. So we did the, the emergency services work, and then we also acted as the general contractor to do all the reconstruction afterwards. Yeah, my, my, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, my late mother-in-law, I should say, uh, had a flood in her home. It was horrific. There was like two feet of water across in the entire basement. And she worked with a restoration company and they kind of almost project managed it, right? Like obviously right. got rid of all the stuff that was ruined, brought in the trades to, to, to get it back to the way it was. I can't remember. She might've had to go through the insurance process. Did you, did you get involved in, in actually writing the insurance claim on behalf of the client or is that there in there? Sure. So most of our work was insurance work, and we would work alongside with the adjuster to come to an agreement on the scope of work and then also the pricing. Is the insurance company bringing you into the deal, or is it the is a homeowner? Most of the time, the insurance company. So Isn't that we, uh, we were calling on individual agents, uh, insurance agents, um, and then also selling to um, third-party administrators for insurance companies that handle property damage claims. Got it. And so how does that work? Because obviously the insurance company is motivated to get it done as cheaply as possible and not include as much as, as, as the homeowner would like it to include it. How did you, right. how did you kind of sort of walk that tightrope of, of answering to the homeowner whose home you're in, but as well as dealing with the, the actual insurance right. provider? That's it, it, a great question. Uh, so it, it did become 
a little bit more difficult as time went on in the business. So I was I was in the business for a little over 12 years. But for the most part, the the insurance companies really did want to do the right thing. So it wasn't that difficult. There were uh, there were a lot of rules, a lot of admin, a lot of reporting to follow. And as long as we were doing a really good job of that and could justify why we were doing or why we were proposing to do what we you know proposed to do, they were they were fine with it. They just they needed the documentation to back it up. So you were in the business for twelve years. Did you always assume that you were going to sell it? I did. Uh, I did. I, I had never uh, been in the trades before. I actually, when I started the business, it was a franchise. And uh, about eight years into the franchise agreement, I went through a mediation process with the uh, the franchisor uh, and became an independent. Uh, so that... To get back to your your question, I did always think that I would. I didn't think it would be the, the kind of business that I would pass on to my children. Uh, what kind of gave me a, a renewed interest in the business is when I broke away and became an independent. It was kind of like, you know, a lot of ways starting all over, rebranding was was exciting, and having my name on the business was exciting. Um, but ultimately, I did I did know that I was going to sell it. I'm interested that your surname is on the name of the company, Miller Restoration, <laughs> and you're obviously Scott Miller. So, so what were the pros and cons to having your surname associated with the yeah. company? Yeah. So, thought a lot about that when I was going through the process of trying to decide what we were going to call ourselves when we left the franchise system. Uh, the the benefit was the name recognition. Everybody in the community, in the insurance community, in, in this market, you know, knew my name. So it, it made the transition, I think, much easier than if I just became, you know, ABC Restoration Company. Um, the the possible downside to it was uh, when I do sell someday, who's going to want to buy a company with my name on it? Uh, so and, and it turned out to, to be a non-issue. In, in what way did, was it a non-issue? Uh, keep going. Well, ultimately, you know, the the buyer who who um, who bought the business a couple months ago just just it wasn't a concern at all. And you shared with me off the air that the buyer used an SBA loan, mm-hmm. where the requirement, part of the requirement, and this is new to me, I had not heard of this. Part of the requirement is that the the new owner continue to use the same name for a period of time. Yes, I, I believe that's the case. Uh, so I think um, this, this buyer owns other restoration companies. So, you know, perhaps in the future, they'll want to brand it, you know, like their other businesses. Uh, Is there any sense, uh, you know, I, I used to own a company called Warlow Subscriber Network. Certainly my surname was on the door. Um, and when I sold, I was very keen uh, to, to get them to stop using my name. Sure. I felt like it was, I didn't control it anymore. And therefore, maybe it's the control freak in me coming out. I, I didn't want <laughs> it, it, it sort of yeah. out there. Did, did you feel any of that stuff? I, I, yeah, I do. I, I still do. Um, they've, they've retained the, the team. I, I think, you know, we're about five months into the transition. And um, I, don't, I don't think anyone, you know, any of the key folks at least, 
have left. Uh, so they're, you know, they're intent on keeping the team intact. I know how great that team is, so I'm, I'm not really concerned about it, but yeah, I'd, I'd be a liar if I told you it didn't cross my mind. And did yeah. you, did you go through any, as part of the negotiations, did you say that, you know, after a certain period of time, a year or two years that they would have to remove your name from the door? Was that part of the agreement? No, no. Um. Uh, now that you mention it, you know, maybe it should have been, but no, it thought didn't even cross my mind to tell you the truth. Well, you got your payday, so it's okay. We're going right. to get to the payday right. in a second, but, <laughs> but 12 years is, is a long time to own a company, especially if the view is that you're, you're planning to sell it and, and as you say, not pass it to your kids. You shared earlier um, that, that you'd gone through a couple of false starts with potential acquirers. I'd love to explore some of those. So at, at what point in your progress did you, did you start to uh, decide that, hey, I, I think it's time to sell? Like, was there a triggering event of some sort that made you think, okay, now's the time? Uh, so there were, there were a couple different phases of that. So earlier on, you know, I'll, I'll say approximately maybe five years into the business, uh, I listed it. I just, I just didn't like it. I just felt like I need to do something else with my life. What's, so how much revenue just, did you have at the time? At the time we were, let me see, we were at about a million. Got it. So you got a million in revenue. You're five years in. You're like, okay, I'm done. You hmm. list it. What right. Happens? List it. Uh, had a one year listing agreement with this person and he didn't bring one potential buyer. So now in that time, I, I had, um, I had almost like I listed it. And for a few months I was kind of angry that he wasn't bringing me anybody. And then I thought, you know what? I have a really good team. Uh, I'm making a good income and this isn't so bad. And I, I just decided, you know what, it, it's probably for the best. And I didn't relist it. What kind of margin are you making on that million bucks? Uh, I have no idea what the restoration sure. is. is like, are, what kind of EBITDA margin would you be yeah, on? Yeah, about 20%. Got it. Okay, so you're making a great living and mm -hmm. and things are good. You list it, nothing. Then what? Right. Uh, then I, I kind of just went back to it and uh, and, and never, never uh, disengaged during that listing time. Um, that was... That was really important. I had talked to brokers and other people that have sold their business and tried to sell their business and kept hearing this this common thread of kind of just saying, okay, I'm I'm on my way out the door and not paying attention to things. So I wanted to be very, very careful to not do that. So uh so you know, the the year passes, it's not in the market anymore, and I just kind of go back to working hard or you know, continuing to work hard and at growing it and um, delegating more and just making it a you know a, a more uh, agreeable business for me. Kind of identifying the things that I didn't like to do and um, delegated and hired so that I didn't have to do those things. Fantastic. And then you went through, I think, a second failed attempt later. What was the trigger event at that point? Uh, same kind of thing. You know, maybe it's maybe it's time to to do something else and. Um, was having a conversation with with a good friend and he knew somebody locally that uh was a a finance guy and looking for a business he had a couple of small businesses his um 
his main business was private equity, raising money. And um, so met him and he told me that he was going to talk to a couple of people he thought might have an interest and then got back to me and said, you know what, I, I think I do myself. And so this went on for, you know, from the time we started to to talk about it until the time the deal fell apart was about 15 months. Uh, I just, I let myself get strung along far too, far too long. And it's, you know, it's, it's like a little bit of a, an emotional roller coaster going through this process of, you know, do I have my business sold? Do I not? When's it going to happen? Delay after delay. Uh, so finally he, he called me about a week before settlement was to happen and said his financing fell apart and could I give him another month or so? And I said, no, you know, we're so same, same thing happened. So during this period of time, the, the business really, um, the only way I can explain is there's been different parts throughout the 12 years, pieces of time where everything just seems to be clicking. Everything's going great, you know, sale, you know, revenues are strong, cash flow is strong. The team is, is great. And then there's other parts where, you know, the road is rockier. So as I'm coming to the end with this guy, the, it was getting the business, everything was just clicking and leading up to it. I'm thinking, why am I doing this? You know, why am I selling this, this great business? So I was actually happy because I was having, you know, seller's remorse. I think you have such leading. a, you, you just described for me, at least uh, someone who's run some businesses, I, I, I can totally empathize with what you're saying. This idea of, of some days it just feels like it's all flowing, right? Like it's all just mm -hmm. working, you're making money, people are happy, people are doing what they're right. supposed to be doing. And, and <laughs> yeah. you're just like, this is great. And then other days it's like, nothing seems to be going right. right. And, right. Uh, and good. So you were in one of those flow moments where it's like, this right. is great. Talk to me about what you were going through during those 15 months, because, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about at Value Builders, this idea of, of creating a market for your business and not getting sucked into a you know, proprietary deal where there's just one buyer whose mm -hmm. kind of timeline, you know, they're driving the agenda, which is almost always stringing you along. Did, right. you know, as you went through that 15 month period, like what are some of the excuses he's throwing up? before he ultimately throws up the, the financing one of, of right. why it's taking so long. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing good that I recall. I think I was, I was just hanging on because he was the only one. Uh, you know, it was, well, you know, I've got a, I, I need, I need these P and L's for this date range. I need, you know, just always needed something else. And then I need, I need uh, you know a couple of investors to um, to look at this because I I'm not uh, I, I'm going to have a couple partners so I need them to look at it and then you know there's oh there's a delay with the attorney there's, there's a delay with one of the partners there's you know somebody else wants to see something else and um, yeah before you know it it's death by a thousand cuts exactly exactly and and then. You also start to feel like you're you're giving away way too much information. Yeah. Did you at all think that he was going to set up shop to compete with you? I didn't, and he and he didn't. Um, what was he offering for the business? Did you guys talk turkey and actually get into numbers? We did. And we what did. was he offering uh, in terms of either cash or multiple earnings? Yeah, it was um, three and a half times earnings. 
And, and for what portion of that was he asking you? Like, was he going to pay that cash up front or was he going to do a vendor take back? He was, he was uh, asking me to hold 10%. Okay. Got it. So three and a half times earnings, no earn out, but a, a 10% hold back. Right. That you and would I, finance. Exactly. And I think he was, um, there was something, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but he was going to give me a consulting contract for six months or a year. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to my listeners directly here. Usually when, when you're selling a smaller company, say sub $5 million in, in revenue, there's usually you know three components to the buyer's uh, you know bid, if you will. Uh, they're going to pay a portion of, of cash. They're also likely to borrow some money uh, either from a bank or, or some other organization or individual. And then they're probably going to ask you, the owner, to take a little bit of, of debt. In other words, help, help finance the, uh, the sale. It sounds like in your case, Scott, it was about 10% that they were asking right. you to finance. Got it. Okay. So on the surface, this three and a half times earnings, I mean, how did you feel about that offer? Were you prepared to, to go ahead and close if, if this guy could ever get his ducks in a row? I, I was. I was. And I, through, uh, through the industry, through the, the restoration industry, and, and through a couple different brokers, I, I got a sense that it was the multiple for our industry was probably somewhere between three and three and a half times. And so, you know, I asked for four and ultimately we agreed at three and a half. And, and what kind of revenue are you doing during this, this window? At, at that time, we were, I believe, a little over two million. Got it. Okay. So it falls apart and you go back to running the company. There was there must have been some other triggering event that that ultimately led you to selling selling the business. Um, the, the, this right. Uh, so there wasn't really a, a triggering event, but I can I can tell you a little bit about my my mindset on it. So w the the business was very strong at the time that I sold it. We had um, you know a, a number of really strong years. Like what kind and of kind of revenue are we talking? We we got up to um, just just a little bit under three million. Got it. Uh, and five and a half years ago, I started another business called True Blue Auto Glass, and it's a mobile auto glass repair and replacement business. Uh, so, what happened was I started that business because I I wanted to have another business. I wanted to do it under the same roof, and I wanted to leverage our insurance relationships. So the I was very fortunate to have somebody that uh, was experienced in the industry and was my general manager and, and just did a great job. And I spent about an hour a week on that business. And the I just didn't want to take my eye off of the restoration business. Um, you know, I was just concerned about um, the business not doing as well if I wasn't paying as much attention to it. And some of some of the team members even pointed it out when I started the rest the uh, the auto glass business. I said, you know, it's kind of like your shiny new toy, and you're you're not paying any attention to us. You're only pay paying attention to that business. So I said, you know what, you're you're right. I've got to pay attention to the restoration business, and um, didn't do much with the glass business. So it kind of just it grew on its own over the past few years. And I just thought, you know what, I, I love the excitement of, of growing something. 
and I felt like I, I hit a little bit of a wall with the um, with the restoration business in terms of growth. Um, so that's that's really what ultimately triggered me to to sell it. Um, I, I actually I, I started to like the business more. Um, we had you know, and they still have a great team in place. Uh, so it was more about wanting to free up my my mind to do something where I could have some rapid growth again. Got it. Got it. That's helpful for sure. And so what did you do? I mean, did you did you have a buyer in mind? Did you hire a broker? What was your next step? Sure. So about three or four years ago, I went to a restoration industry conference in Chicago. And the um, the theme of that conference was succession planning. And there was a, a broker there by the name of Gokul Padmanavan. And, Good handle, uh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he has a company called Rescon Business Brokers. All he does is restoration businesses. So I had it in the back of my mind. I joined his mailing list, would get um, get emails from him on occasion, talked to him a couple of times over the years. And then when I got serious about it, reached out to him and started sharing financials and started going through the process of understanding what the value might be. And um, so that's that was the next step. Okay, good. So you get into this process, and and so what was the outcome? Did he get multiple people bidding on the business? What was the next step? I had multiple people interested. There weren't multiple people bidding on it at the same time. We within two weeks of listing it, we had an LOI from somebody. Uh, spent probably a little bit too long. Spent a couple of months, probably. October listed in October within a couple of weeks had an LOI and I think it was probably around January where that fell apart uh, and then also in within the first two weeks he had two potential buyers the second one is the one who ultimately bought it why did the January deal fall apart uh, when so we we agreed on the general terms and the LOI, and when I started to share financials with him, he wanted to make a a very large change in his offer. What was that? The, the large change. He he wanted to reduce the the purchase price by, you know, probably what would have equated to you know maybe a two and a half rather than a three and a half multiple. Why? What was he? What, what did he see in the financials that? Uh. There were things about the, um, some of it was related to the vehicles. We had capital lease, uh, capital leases on some of the vehicles. And um, I, I can't remember the particulars, but um, that was the, that was probably the largest issue. So forgive my ignorance. I know nothing yeah. about leasing. What, what is a capital lease so and why would capital, that impact the value of the company? Right. So it is when it's almost like it's not a, a dollar buyout lease, but it's it's a very small buyout. And I believe the it's a better question for my accountant, but I think the the IRS allows this type of lease to be able to be able to be treated on your financials as a purchase for you to depreciate it. Got it. And somehow that was 
viewed negatively by the potential buyer. Right. Interesting. I wonder. We'll have to get more information on that because that's a. Uh, that's that's one we've never heard before. But so, anyways, okay. that that was one of the reasons this potential buyer. And I mean, did you feel like, man, this is Groundhog Day all over again? Here we go. I did. I've Absolutely. got a letter of intent, and, and it just absolutely. And I I think because it, if it weren't for that past experience, I probably would have let it go on even longer and tried to to meet with him again and and see if we could work things out. But I just I just had no patience for it after what I had gone through. And so, uh, how is your how is your broker talking you off the ledge at this point? Because mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're you're frustrated, right? He was great. He's fifty um, percent broker, fifty percent therapist. I think. What uh, kind of stuff is he saying? Uh, just that it, you know, it's very common. This kind of thing is is common with potential buyers. Uh, hang in there. We don't. You know, he agreed with me that there were that there were red flags, but at the same time, it's it's a difficult process to go through and we don't want to dismiss them prematurely. Um, but you know, as, as my frustration and ultimately when he, when he wanted us to lower the price substantially, you know, the Gokul was hundred percent in favor of moving on. Got it. And do you have a, a, a price that you placed on the business? Like, have you said, I, I want X amount of money for this company? And when you listed uh, it, did you, did you put a price on it? I did. Got it. And so, and what, what multiple of earnings was that? A three and a half. So you're saying I got to get three and a half. So that's your right. offer or what you've listed it for. Right. Um, what next? It sounds like you got another letter of intent. I did. And, and that was the one who ultimately purchased the business. And what were they offering? Uh, the the same. They offered three and a half. They did. So right there, I mean, the devil's in the details, I guess. But at least you 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 were probably happy to know that they were they were meeting your your asking price. Yes. And, and what was the what were the terms that did they were they going to pay it all up front in cash or? Eighty five percent, and then there's a a fifteen percent seller's note. At what interest rate? Five uh, percent. Got it. So. You're financing part of the deal at relatively market rates, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and and eighty five percent of the, the funds will pay up ca- uh, in terms of cash up front. What was that experience like to go through the negotiation? Given all of the stop and start you've had in mm-hmm. the past, were you going in with your <laughs> sort of uh, expecting for the worst? Uh, you know what I was I was. I went into it very confidently because there was there was no reason that I had to sell the business, uh, you know. So I, I and I never took my foot off the gas in the business, and I just kept telling myself, if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, that's the the bad news is not so bad. I have a really great business, um, so I just kept telling myself. You know, if it happens, great. Um, and if it doesn't, I'll I'll reevaluate what I want to do. On, you know, on the other side. How 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 much of this have you shared with your team? Because I'm assuming that you've gone through this now a couple of times. Um, like, were you able to keep it from them all along, or did I, you try to keep it from them all along? Uh, I, I was able to keep it from them all, all along. Um, 
I, I, I try to, and it's really, it's, I have very, very mixed feelings about it. I was advised by my broker and by my attorney to not tell them. I said, you know, listen, it, it has fallen through before. It might fall through again. You'll give people a lot to worry about for, you know, for maybe no, no reason. Um, it might not happen. You might not sell the business and no need to get people worried uh, prematurely. So, but at the same time, uh, it was, it was the most difficult part by far. Uh, we had, um, yeah, and, and still do in, in most of the cases have really good relationships. Um, one of the people there was, um, was with me almost the whole time I had the business. So it was really difficult to, to not tell these people. Why did you want to tell them? Uh, I just, I felt like I owed it to them. Um, they, you know, they, they all played a very big part in, in growing the business. Um, they were idea people, you know, who really cared about the business and I felt like always had my back. Uh, so I felt like I owed it to them. And why did you not other than the advice from your broker? Uh, I, I think the, the big thing was feeling like there was a very good chance that it wouldn't happen. And I didn't, I don't want to lose my team. So, um, I, I was afraid that if they knew that I was trying to sell that, that they would leave. Um, so, um, I mean, where would they, where would they go, Scott? I mean, did, did, well, right. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're talented people. They could, you know, they could certainly go to another restoration company that would, that would make the most sense. Um, so I don't know. It, it's something that, um, you know, that I continue to struggle with a little bit. And, you know, I, when the time comes to sell another business, I, I don't know that I'll do it the same way when it comes to employees. Uh, one of the interviews that you did, there was, um, there was somebody that talked about the idea of sharing that, that information well in advance. Uh, so I, I, you know, I thought that was interesting, but, um, I don't know. Maybe offline, we'll we'll have another conversation about it. Yeah, it's it's a it's one that I think a, a lot of business owners feel deep remorse and maybe a little guilt because yeah, absolutely know, for for what you just described, these are people that talked you know, brought you to the dance. Like they're the ones exactly. who brought you there, and right. it feels like you're a cheating spouse uh, walking around the office with this big secret and you and absolutely not able to tell them. Well, how did how did you go about? Uh, keeping it secret. I mean, did you use a code name for the files? Did you have a separate computer? Like what kind of clandestine stuff did you do to keep this stuff secret? Right. No, uh, no code names. I had, um, I had a drop my broker set up a, a Dropbox shared folder that we used uh, for all the due diligence materials uh, that we shared with the attorneys and the buyers. Uh, but um, some of the things I would have to, some of the documentation that was needed, I would have loved to have been able to tell people because, you know, for, for a number of reasons for what we talked about already. But the other thing was just to have the help because it, it's very time consuming. There was a lot, a lot of uh, reports that were asked of me. So sometimes I, I had to go in nights and weekends when nobody was there. 
that's really the only yeah thing that was difficult um, from a timing standpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you end up telling? Hmm. So we the settlement was over at about three thirty in the afternoon. So what do you mean by the settlement? Uh, the the closing. So the actual transaction. Right. The wire the, had hit your bank. The, the wire had hit the bank. We were all at the table uh, together, um, you know, with their their attorney, my attorney, the brokers. They were represented by a buyer's broker. Uh, so about 3.30, it was done. And they wanted me to to go out and kind of, you know, have a drink to, to celebrate. And, uh, and I said, no, I've got to go go talk to some people. So all of the, the key people, um, I was able to, I just started making calls and say, I need you to meet me. Um, I had several of those meetings. I got done at about 11 o'clock that night, just, uh, crisscrossing the, the Delaware Valley meeting people. You're meeting with them face to face. Meeting with them face to face. It was really important that, um, that my managers and, um, sales reps that I got to tell them face to face. Uh, so I wasn't able to do them, do all the meetings that night, but by the next morning I met, um, I met somebody very early for breakfast and then there were two people, there were four managers and two sales reps. So there were two other managers that I had to meet with, um, first thing in the morning, uh, before our week, <clears throat> excuse me, before our weekly production meeting. And then the rest of the team was there for the weekly production meeting. And I got to tell all them, the technicians and the administrative folks. Um, so there was one person that had a vacation day and I asked the team to, you know, please not text him or call him. And so he was the only person that I had to tell on the phone. And I, right after the meeting, I went to my office and I called him and, and let him know. And so walk me through those conversations. <clears throat> What, hmm. what did you say? Uh, I said, I have some news for you. It's, um, I'll just get right to it. I, I sold the business. And, um, so it was, it was met with, uh, you know, a couple of people were, were happy, you know, right away. Um, other people were, you know, were really sad, you know, very, very upset. Uh, one person, a, a longtime friend, even before, um, he came to work in the business and, um, he was very angry. Uh, so they were, they were, they were tough conversations. What made him angry? Then I didn't tell him. How did you respond? So I, you know, I talked to them about wh why, um, why I didn't tell them and, and apologized. So, you know, you, I, I, I agree. It was, it was certainly not ideal um yeah it was a it was a it was a tough couple of days and and for them as well too i mean it was you know and i think it's still still in some cases the transition um has has been has been difficult for them i think they're all they're all getting used to it but um you know we were we were a tight-knit group and when a stranger shows up and sits, you know, in, in the old owner's seat, it's, yeah, it's difficult for everybody. Five months has passed since those yep. conversations about, right. If you had to have 
that conversation <clears throat> again? Mm -hmm. What might you change in the way you delivered it, the way you communicated the message, having had five months to kind of reflect on it? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I, you know, listening to this, you know, maybe in in a couple of months from now, maybe maybe I'll think differently and kick myself. But uh, I'm I'm happy that I was able to to talk to everybody face to face. Uh, I'm I'm happy that that I apologized um, for not doing it differently and for, you know, for hurting them. Uh, I, I really, short of making the decision to tell people in advance, which at this point I, I feel like I will do next time, especially the, you know, the, the key, the leadership team. Um, short of that, I, I don't know that I could have really done it any, any differently. Um, I don't think there's any easy way to tell somebody that you've kept a secret from them uh, with something that, that could potentially have a big effect on their work life. It has to be one of the crappiest deals going yeah. that you mm -hmm. as the owner have to deal with this because uh, you're right. Your, your broker yeah. gave you the right advice, right? Not to tell anybody is, is the you know, textbook advice. Yet, right. Yet it's also, you know, there are human lives at stake and emotions right. and it puts everyone at a really yeah. tough spot. So now you said that next time, you know, maybe mm -hmm. with True Blue or whatever mm -hmm. you do next, um, you will choose to share. So that would fly directly in the face of the advice you got from your broker. How would you right. how would you stick handle that or, or how would you kind of make that calculus? I will. Uh... I'll probably reach out to a number of people that have been through it before and and have done it and try to come up with some best practices. You know, maybe uh, you know, maybe there's a there's a path in advance of that. Maybe some kind of um, ownership interest for the leadership team. Um, I don't know, um, but I you know I I know that there's um, there's more than one way. I know that people sell their business and do tell. The leadership team in advance and um it, my guess is it doesn't have to be a bad thing and it doesn't have to lead to a mass exodus of the leadership team yeah i mean one of the ways that that we've heard folks do it uh, is talk about the idea that we're we're going to solicit an investment in the company right we're going to put together a package we're going to we're going to really look for uh, an investor to come in and help take us to the next level uh, mm. so that everybody's sort of brought into this idea there's going to be a new big brother around and there's going to be someone else that's sort of at the table and mm -hmm. then you may you may choose at some point to sell 100% of the company mm -hmm. uh, in which case you know you can make that disclosure that it was a so that's one way that i've seen um, okay it it be done uh, not quite as shockingly. I don't know if that's any more genuine, to be honest. I, I, think, right. it, I think it's all, you know, maybe it's, uh, it's kind of like Bill Clinton's sort of like massaging <laughs> the, the, the words. <laughs> I did not have sex with that woman. Right. Uh, you, there's a bit of that, you know, but anyways, I've, I've heard that as, as one strategy, but I, I agree with you. I think it's one of the, you know, the, 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 tick, the, the trickiest things to, to stick handle that never ends well. Out of interest, the, the, the one friend that you had even before you started Miller Restoration that was angry that you didn't tell him, what's the relationship like now? 
it's it's very good. Um, he understands, I think, you know, um, I, I think, and, and there's other people too. I mean, I, I, there, there's another person that uh, worked for me at another company that, um, that came to work for me at this company. Same thing. We have, we've been friends for years. And, um, you know, that person recently told me <clears throat> that, um, you know, what, how hurtful it was. This is very recent. Um, so the, the relationship with that first person I told you about is, is very good. Um, he understands, I think, um, in, in time, the, you know, we'll, we'll probably get back to a stronger friendship. The, the other person, um, it's, it's tough though, John, it, it really is. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't miss the business itself, but I, I do miss the people. What else has, has sort of transpired for you post-sale? Because clearly you got a fat check in the bank, which is great. Right. Uh, what other things have changed in your life since after the sale? Sure. So um, big check in the bank, but not much of an income. So I'm at a, you know, I'm running a much smaller business, trying to grow it. Uh, <clears throat> and it was funny when I, when I kind of showed up, we, the business True Blue was under the same roof as Miller Restoration, and after the sale, I moved it out um, to a location closer to my house, and um, and and just to to get the separation. And when I when I got here, I realized that I didn't I didn't have a job. Um, you know, I had a very specific set of things that I did in the restoration business. And for the past five years, I was involved in True Blue Auto Glass about an hour a week. So I do. That was one big thing. I had to create a job for myself. Uh, so create a job for myself, um, missing the paycheck that I that I had. <laughs> uh, you know, being very concerned about investing it wisely. Um, so those those are a couple of the the things that are top of mind. Big changes. For sure. Well, I, you know, I appreciate you telling the story and, and, uh, and so many kind of lessons inherent within it. Scott, what's the best way if people wanted to reach out to you, you know, say hi, what's the best way for people to get in touch? Sure. So my personal email address is scottmiller1 at gmail.com. And that's the number one or the letters O-N-E? It is. It's the number one. Okay. And then truebluautoglass.com. You can visit that, and my email address in that business is scott at truebluautoglass.com. Well, there you go. You're gonna you you you've given out the jewels, the secrets. Hopefully, <laughs> your uh, your uh, your email doesn't get flooded with lots of questions. But uh, but in any event, I, uh, I appreciate fine. I appreciate you spending the time with uh, us today, and um, I wish you all the best luck with that uh, with True Blue. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R 
I double L O W. Thanks for listening.